Welcome to this week's podcast from Tim Hall International Ministries. To find out more about what Pastor Tim and Jackie Hall are doing around the world, check out timhall.com.au. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and empowered as you listen to this message. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, reads like this. For though we walk in the flesh, that word walk is the word peripateo, which means though we walk about in the flesh, we've got our being in the flesh. How many woke up this morning and uh, realised that you're still in this body that you've been in for a while? We can't get out of it. We just get around in this thing. Have you ever wanted to be like to be in someone else's body? Have you ever, ever thought I'd love to just swap my brain for a day with someone else? Well, you wouldn't want to swap with mine. By the end of the day, you'd be begging God to swap back. Honestly. Um, you ever meet people sometimes and you think, I'd hate to be in your head. <laughs> I mean, it's bad enough being in this one. This one's got, got a mind of it. Well, I think like a cartoon. Uh, I draw cartoons and my wife says, is that what's in you? Now we walk in the flesh. We live in this body. We walk around in this body. We walk around. That's how we get around. It's our vehicle. But though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, the Bible says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not natural. But they are divinely powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds or the demolition to extinction of strongholds. We are destroying the Amplified says speculations, reasonings and every high thing and lofty thing that raises itself up against the knowledge of God and we're bringing every thought captive unto the obedience of Christ. Um, it's not a big scripture, but it is power-packed. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but divinely and mightily powerful to the utter demolition of strongholds there's six months preaching in those three thoughts now we walk in the flesh we don't war after the flesh the word war stratia means our military campaign our strategy going into this year we need a strategy a christian life without a strategy is circular. A high percentage of Christians live life without a strategy. You say, well, aren't we just enjoying God and God knows where we're going? Yes, but we've got to find that strategy. I love what you're sharing. He has a strategy laid out. I want to get to the end of it knowing that I've walked close enough with him to fulfill the strategy he had for me. I want to see the blueprint at the end that he had for me and realized that by walking intimately with him, I fulfilled what he had foreordained before the foundation of the earth. And so I love to spend the first part of my year clarifying my strategy. We've got, I'm looking at this year's strategy and going, uh, it was looking a little bit gappy in places. And my wife said, don't fill them, don't fill them hold back. I said, okay, okay, I'll take your advice. And we're, we're worried. This is my PA, Mariette. I was worried. I'm thinking, God, 
I'm wanting to do more of the major crusades this year, but we've got gaps here and I'm out praying. Father, would you, would you show me? Would you open the doors up? And I'm thinking, I better make some phone calls. I just better make, and I started making phone calls and uh, look, we got this, I'm in America, I've got this weekend um, and I'm, would you like to have us? And the guy said, I'd love to, but that's my wife's big worship night and it's a major event. And I said, forget that. Mm. And so then I thought, forget it, I'm going to listen to my wife. Last week, a guy just asked me to preach in his church in Columbia, 50,000 strong church. And that filled that. And then I had two gaps in September. We had a guy swing the dates and left me with a whole month hanging. And a and, uh, guy rang me and said, Tim, would you do a major crusade in the Philippines and another one in another place? And I said, Yes. So in two months, we've got four major crusades. Now I'm thinking, God, I think I might need some gaps. <laughs> but I'm watching God fill a strategy. What are you aiming for this year? You see, I think our walk, we love God, we worship God, we want to be in his presence. I love a church that loves the Holy Ghost. I'm a lover of the Holy Spirit. I love the presence of God. I love to be in a soaking drunk atmosphere the happiest atmosphere for me is when everyone's rolling on the floor with no idea even their name smashed people hanging from the chandeliers meetings you never want to stop meetings where you're so jet-lagged that they pray for you, you roll under a sleep seat and you just go to sleep there for an hour or two and it's the anointing and the sleep factor been in some of Rodney Howard Brown's meetings so jet-lagged prayed for, rolled under a seat somewhere and just stayed down, had a snooze. Jackie kicked me and said, you're snoring. <laughs> I want the Holy Ghost in power, but I want his strategy. I want to walk in his strategy. The weapons of our warfare, of our strategy, of our military campaign, and God says it is military. And we start to look at the scriptures and realize that the Bible talks over and over of the fact that we really are in a campaign that is militant. Jesus said, or Paul said uh, to Timothy, um, no soldier in active service is involved with the things of the world. He says, endure hardship as a good soldier. And if I had time, I'd talk about the enduring of Roman soldiers in their training and the incredible endurance. A Roman soldier in their training had to do a 25-mile, if you remember miles, route march, was it kilometres, probably miles, in five hours, fully loaded with about 70 to 80 pound, half walking, half running. They'd have to fulfil that thing and stay in tune to do that. Their training was so strong and so aggressive that their training was bloodless battle and their battle was bloody training. So little difference. So little difference. And the discipline, so profound. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, endure hardship as a good soldier. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight. The word for fight is agon, from which we get agony. I love what Paul says at the end of his life. He says, a beautiful fight, I, a beautiful, uh, I have fought a good fight. Or a beautiful fight, I have fought one. A beautiful, and he uses two words 
agon and agonizomai. Agon, from which we get agony, and agonizomai, which is a powerful battle in the arena of faith against a great foe. And he said, I've had a beautiful, his final words, I've had a, it's been a beautiful, agonizing struggle with a great foe, and now I'm ready to depart. It's a battle. We could look at so much. We can look at Jesus, the captain of our salvation. He's the Lord of hosts, the Lord with the armies arrayed in heaven. The Bible talks about putting on the whole armor of God. If we've got time, we might touch a little there. But we are in a warfare. Every day is a warfare. I don't know about you. If I let my guard down in prayer and profession, I'm in trouble. If I let my profession of faith down, my PO will tell you that I'm the grumpiest old mongrel she's ever met. So you must go home some nights and go, how do I work for him? My wife, she puts up with grumpy old mongrel if I'm not walking good, if I'm not walking right. If I'm not walking in that place, holding fast the profession of faith without wavering, strongly declaring in prayer, pressing into God, encouraging myself in the Lord, pressing into the presence of God, and I let my guard down, I realise how strong this warfare is and how determined the devil is to try and take us out. Only one way to walk. Only one way to walk. This last little while I've been doing Trump Bible. Donald Trump Bible. I don't know what you think of Donald Trump, but all I, I like what he says is, we're going to win so much today that by the end of the day we're almost going to be sick of winning. And uh, Jackie and I get up in the morning, and that's scriptural anyway, because in all these things we're overwhelming conquerors. We're born to rule if through one man's death sin reigns. How much more shall we who have received the gift of, uh, of righteousness reign as kings in life, ruling and reigning in dominion? By one Christ Jesus, you're the head, not the tail. We're above only. The Bible says, hold fast the profession of your faith without wavering. Hold fast. Cata echo. Cata down to hold, to season. Hold down the profession of your faith. The word profession is the Greek word homologia, which comes from two words. Homo, the same, and logia, word from logos. The same word. Hold fast strongly and fiercely to the declaration of the same word. The Word of God is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting the fine line between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, even to the discerning of the thoughts of the human heart. Hebrews 4, the Word of God is sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword. What's the word for two-edged? Distomos, from two Greek words. Distu, stomos, the tongue. The mouth, sorry. Two-mouthed. The Word of God is a sharp, two-mouthed sword. When does the Word of God become two-edged or two-mouthed? I'll tell you when. Firstly, when the Word comes out of here and gets in there. And then it becomes the other blade edge when it comes out of there. It's one edge coming in, one edge coming out. Out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. The same word. That with it he might smite the nations. We, we underestimate 
the authority, and I'm off the track here a little bit. I'm all over the place. I've got so much stuff. I get, I've, I've got 50 sermons in one this morning. They're all coming out at once. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. I want to win every day. Honestly, my wife and I get up in the morning and we, we don't say any. We made a decision not to speak negatively about anything. Every morning it's, we are going to win today. By the end of the day, we're actually going to be sick of winning. It's so much winning. And so, I started to confess to you, just the other day we, we, we really got on it and we had a real morning on it. I was painting a painting and this painting was starting to drive me mad. It's a 40 square foot painting of the charge on Beersheba. And uh, it's a massive thing. It's a commission. And I paint to raise money for our crusades. And I was painting this big thing. I've been painting it and painting it. And the other day, I went down for coffee in the morning. I said, verbally spoke, I said, this painting's killing me. And I thought, that's not good. And I thought, no, no, no. No, we're winning. We're going to win today. We're going to win so badly and so goodly and so powerfully. And we're going to win today. This painting is giving way. This painting's giving in. Winning, winning, winning. Next day, that day, it just flowed. The painting gave way and said, I surrender, paint me. (laughs) Got up the next morning, did a a deal with some art into our ministry and then followed that up with a a look at my finances and the tax department had given me 2,600 into our ministry. So where'd that come from? Then someone, we had a phone call to say that, these people that hadn't paid us for some ministry we did in big church 13 months ago have money ready to go in the account. And then, then my daughter, who had uh, cancer cells in her cervix, she's only 30, doctors were concerned, took a biopsy. We got praying, win, 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 that, that in Jesus' name we're winning this thing. We're just sharpening up. Well, everything's, we're born for triumph. How many are born for triumph? Born for triumph, the power of our words we underestimate. And uh, she contacted me, and she's not walking that close to God yet. But she said, I'm amazed. The doctor said, there's nothing, not even what was there. Don't even bother coming back. Don't don't bother coming back. Then something else, and then something else. And at the end of the day, I said, God, I, I don't think I can take any more winning today. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are divinely powerful through God to the demolition of fortresses. Weapons. We have weapons. We are warriors in a great war with a realm that hates us. says in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not. That word wrestle, parley, wrestling in the ancient world was brutal. Boxing was worse. They used to have strapped leather around their hands, even with studs on it. Gladiators had blades on them, but they certainly did box with these things that were knuckle dusters with raised leather, even metal, that would tear your face to pieces. And the only rules were you can't hold the gloves and there's no rounds. And if it got to the end, it was blow by blow. And uh, ears were torn and ripped and it was a messy business. Boxing, that's why Paul said, I don't box as one that beats the air. I'm making sure I land the blows. Too many Christians swinging without any purpose, running without aim. Boxing was horrendous, but wrestling was brutal. The scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities. Aki, strong, old, powers, principalities, powers, associates, authorities, world rulers, cosmocraterists, wicked spirits, pneumaticus, paneros, wicked, malevolent spirits. We are in a wrestling match. The devil wants to bring us down. But we are the head, not the tail. We're above only, never below. And if we're walking in him and walking in the word and living in the power of God and staying in the Holy Ghost, no curse that the enemy can in any way try to throw at us can alight. Born to rule. Born to reign. The enemy has no authority. Jesus said, he's got nothing with me. We've got to start to say the same. He's got nothing with me. He has nothing with me. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. Wicked spirits, wicked rulers. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor, the panoplia, from two words, pass and hoplon. Pass, all, hoplon, weaponry. Literally, Wherefore, take unto you the whole weaponry of a fully armed Roman soldier. It says that we might stand against the wiles of the devil. Methodius, the mind games. That we might stand against the mind games. The stuff that he brings against us of the devil. That's the battle, according to... 2 Corinthians 10, the greatest battle. It's a very interesting piece of scripture. It says, The weapons of our warfare, not carnal, but divinely powerful through God to the utter demolition of strongholds. And then in the Amplified, it says, We're destroying speculations, reasonings, and every lofty thing raised up against knowledge and bringing every thought captive. It gives me the impression that the greatest battle that I will have is not going to be external, but it's going to be in here. And if I can, if I can win this battle, and this is my, bi- my biggest enemy, I don't think is the devil. I think my biggest enemy that I have to defeat and take total triumph over is my own thinking. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The Bible says, be transformed in the spirit of your mind. Have you ever met people and it's as though over their mind there's a spirit. When they come up to you, they give you the impression, you won't like me. No one does. The head goes down. Please don't come and talk to me because I'm so insular in my stronghold that I really would love someone to reach in here, but I don't trust anyone and please don't come too close. Every thought that person has gets filtered through a spirit. A spirit of rejection, a spirit of fear, a spirit that's come through something that's over their mind because maybe their father's told them for years, you're nothing, you're rubbish, you amount to nothing, you're no good, you'll never make it. I love the people who at school get told they're the person most least likely to ever make it and they become the best people. Some people believe it, others take it as a 
And they turn around and say, I will. You can't do it. Yes, I can. You're no good. You got that wrong. God's able to do in your life and mine exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask, think, dream, imagine. Because of the power that works within us. So, the scripture says here, the weapons of our warfare are not natural, but they are divinely powerful. That's the word dunatos, divinely, supernaturally powerful through God to the utter destruction of strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold can be one of two things. A massive fortress built to keep people out or a prison, a strong fortress to keep people in. Some people have a fortress built because of it. We, we live in a society that is building fortresses every day into the minds of a generation. We live in a humanistic society who through the media and through the brainwashing that's been going on for so long, the devil knows how to, he knows if he can control the mind of a generation, he can control a generation. In the 60s, the, the mind control stuff that went on that involved acid and involved uh, the use of all sorts of drugs to manipulate minds was so powerful. So powerful. Acid was used in mind control and then it became a, a drug of pleasure and it started to get around... And in the 60s, it was the use of LSD that really shaped the musicians. The Beatles, they sang ballads until they got onto LSD and John Lennon took over a thousand acid trips and they influenced virtually every band on earth. And they changed. Their minds were never the same. And a generation changed. Woodstock. It all changed. It all changed. A generation changed. It's all completely swung from the 60s. Devil's trying to change everyone's thinking. I mean, there's stuff being, stuff today going on that 20 years ago we wouldn't even considered. Stuff we're dealing with in the whole area of sexuality. That is becoming so bizarre, so absolutely demonically bizarre, stuff that's being propagated. They want to teach our kids in school and finish up with five lavatories. <laughs> Lavatory for this group, that group. No one will know where to go. They'll all be walking around. <laughs> Which colour was I supposed Well, you're in the, the blue one or I bet you're on the pink one. What are you in? I'm in the whatever one. And that, but that's just the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to confront. Because humanism says there's no God. Humanistic reasoning has been building building blocks, blocks to a degree with the greatest scientists in the earth, think we evolved from nothing. 
Evolution is the greatest. It's insanity. Scientists once invented flight. Guys invented a flying machine and then developed wings. And they worked from the bird, from the way the bird's wings. How does a bird land? How does a bird do this? Oh, we better do the maths on that and work it out with sketches and drawings. And they studied the bird's wing and they examined the bird and eventually got flying machines and they've, they keep doing it and keep working from it. And, and uh, all their education, all their knowledge and all their science to get to aviation to this great place. And yet they say the bird just sort of made itself. Started off with a beak. Said, I better get ahead. <laughs> oh. I can't, I can't get around. I better develop some, uh, some wings, but I better get a body first. I'm going to have to believe for some lungs. Well, how are you living now? Oh, it's just a miracle my beak breathes. A human can't exist in gradual degrees. We're either a complete unit or we're nothing. Yeah, you can't be sort of half developed and go, gee, I better build, get a brain. And, and that's been propagated to a degree where you go to university and say that you're a creationist, they think you're a fool. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're divinely powerful to the utter demolition of the greatest strongholds. And, one, and the greatest thing is when there's a miracle, all the anti-God thinking in the world says, well, who did that? Little baby come alive in Mars, been dead for half an hour one night. What do you say? Who did that? I don't know how to raise the dead. How do you get the blood flowing in a little body where everything's shut down? Oh, it's a fluke. Professing themselves wise, they became fools. We're dealing with mind games. Devil's the master. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the methodia, the, the mind games of the master mind game. He's been around for years. He knows the very thought to hit the button in your life and send you a bit crazy. How many have got a few buttons that the devil just knows which ones to push? Oh, what? You know them. They're the ones you haven't dealt with. They're the ones you really haven't dealt with. They're the ones that deal with rejection or jealousy or wrong attitudes or pride. Push the button. What? What? I'll give that person a smack in the ear. Did you hear what they said? Now I've re I'm losing it. Driving the car. Some of you, when you, you're a nice person until you get in your car. <laughs> some of you, even in the last week, have possibly given some little hand signals. <laughs> Somebody blows the horn before you, so you give them a little wave. Then you realise it's a member of your congregation. Who's ever got upset and actually given a little hand signal to someone? Anyone? You have. I picked that up in the spirit. <laughs> it 
You know, you're a nice person worshipping. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What? What? What's wrong with you? He knows the buttons to push. And we have our battles. The devil will tell you, you can't do that. You can't, you can't achieve that. That's too big. Don't try that. Others have failed at that. And people come along and say, you're going to do what? You're so stupid. Yeah, it's true. I'll leave it for someone else. Someone else will pick it up. Catherine Kuhlman said the ministry that God put in her way, five men had had the opportunity before she accepted the call. I don't know if that's true or not, but it sounds good. Helps my preaching today. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, divinely powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. We are destroying speculations, reasonings, lofty thinking, anti-God thinking. Let, let me get, give you a scripture now, after all that. Would you like a scripture? So, you know, let's give, prove something. John chapter 4. Jesus is at a well at a place called Sychar. It's in Samaria. And the disciples said, look, we're going to go and get some lunch. Jesus said, you guys go. I'm going to sit here. And he's sitting there and a lady came up to the well. This woman was well known in town. She had an interesting background. Uh, we don't, we can read all sorts of things into her background. But we can also prejudge too much about her. But certainly she was well known because after she went down, she explained to the city a little later come and meet a man who knew everything about me and the whole city turned out to hear so look curious Jesus spoke to this lady he was weary and this woman came and he said to her give me a drink would you give me a drink it doesn't read as polite in the King James but Jesus wouldn't have been rude would you give me a drink and she, uh, she said, sir, you're a Jew and a male and I'm a Samaritan woman. This is very similar to one of your traditional Jewish guys with the big curls and the whole deal sitting there at the well and a Palestinian girl came to that well. That's about it. That's, that's the picture. And she said, sir, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman and you asked me to drink. And Jesus spoke and he said, he said, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God, this is the Son of God speaking. Now I think if the Son of God speaks, certainly there'd be something would get through. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you and who it is that's actually talking to you, saying, give me to drink, you would have asked and he would have given you living water. I thought, well, with the presence that was on him and the, the look on his face and everything, you'd go, wow, talk to me. But she answers and says, sir, you've got nothing to draw this with. That well's deep. How are you going to get the living water out of here? She's absolutely oblivious because she's got a stronghold built around her mind. The Son of God can't break through. And so she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well? 
Jesus said, whosoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. He said, I'm not even talking about this water. But whoever drinks of the water that I give, it will be a well inside them flowing up to everlasting life. If you've got one ounce of spirituality, you're going to go, wow, talk to me. But it doesn't touch her. And she answers. And she says, sir, can you give me this water that I thirst not? Coming up here to draw water is just hard work. She's got a stronghold built around her mind. It's impenetrable. And so the woman says, sir, I, you know, I, I just hate coming up here. Jesus said, go get your husband. Go call him. She said, I, I don't have a husband. He said, ma'am, you just spoke correctly. You've had five. And the man you're with right now, you're not even married to. And she looked at him and went, You know what happened? A big ball hit the wall of her stronghold and the bricks scattered, opening the way for light to come. And she said, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She never met him. He's from way out of town here. But she decides if he's a prophet, what sort of prophet is he? So she said, sir, our families say that, our people say that in this mountain Gerizim we worship God. You say in the mountain of Jerusalem, Zion. Which is correct? You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. We say Gerizim, you say Zion. And he said, Madam, truly, truly the day will come. The true worshipper will worship him in spirit and in truth. She's gone from closed a word of knowledge followed by a word of wisdom and they go together and suddenly she says I have heard that Messiah is coming she's gone from dead closed bound up unable to be reached and now that stronghold is smashed open in one moment by a weapon this is the role of the weapons of our warfare to break through the strongholds that have been built into our society. I'm going to preach a couple more minutes, then we're going to pray for some people this morning. I'll tell you a story. A friend of mine, some of you might know him, um, back in Dandenong, we had a great street team, and we had a young man called Ian Fletcher. You'd remember Ian. Ian was, uh, he looked like Jesus. He had the long hair and the beard, and he would wear the flowing robes, and... Uh, Everyone sort of followed him, he'd have his disciples on the street and they were brilliant. They're the best street team I've ever seen in my life when I was at Dandenong. They're the most extraordinary. We would have half night of prayer, praying for them as they're out there. They'd fast, they'd seek God, they'd go out with words and knowledge, they'd get miracles on the streets. They were the most powerful thing that I've ever seen of a street team ever. And uh, Ian and his fiancée Heidi, they weren't married then, were witnessing to a young woman. I'll share the story as they told me. They went to this young woman... And they were sharing their faith and she would listen and then she would say, I don't want any more. I don't want to hear any more because there was a stronghold and put the shutters up. Don't want to hear any more. And uh, they would go away and they'd share again and she'd go so far and then 
There's the stronghold. They can't get through it. The Word of God bounces off, bounces off. A high percentage of people in society, it bounces off because the walls have been too well built by the media, too well built by the university, the schools, by everything else and by peer pressure and the whole lot. So there's strongholds out there that are going to need the miraculous manifestation of God like never before. This is the hour for the church to step into the greatest manifestation of the gifts and the power of God that we've ever seen. Ever. Ian went away and he said, Heidi, three times we tried to share with her. He said, I'm going to go into a fast. He went into a, he was working as a landscape gardener, so he ate dry bread and water for 21 days. At the end of his fast, he sat up. Last night, he sat up in bed. Those that know Ian, he was a spiritual guy. Haven't seen him for a long time, but quite an influence. He sat up and God said, go and get in your car, Ian. Put some clothes on. It's early hours of the morning. He drove up to Noble Park. I believe it was Noble Park somewhere there. And he said, where do I go? And the Lord said, I'll show you. And he just drove and he stopped. And the Lord said, go into that laneway late at night, early morning dark he walked in stood there and the holy ghost came all over him and he knew that this woman this as a young girl had gone through a terrible experience in that place and he felt something of the fear of the situation he came back and he said to Heidi I know and for, as I remember him telling me the story he went to this young lady's house with with Heidi they sat down with her. They started to share. The shutters went up. The stronghold went up. And Ian said, I have an answer as to why you can't open your heart. He said, I was taken to a laneway just a few nights ago. And her eyes just bugged open like the woman at the well. And he said, you went through something terrible there that you've never shared with anybody. And she broke down. Only God could have told her. She opened her heart, got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, what that's telling me is this, that there are people all around us that have strongholds that we try to reach and can't reach them. But God says, I will give you a key. Jesus said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. You know what those keys are? Peter hasn't got them in Rome. They don't hang in the Vatican. They are the keys of the kingdom. They are the keys of rulership. That's the last. They are the keys of our ruling in the kingdom. And they're available to all of us. I think he gives the major keys to certain areas to men that he's raised up into a place of authority who can handle that key. But he gives keys. They're all shapes and sizes to cities, to regions. And he raises his people up into those strategic places and then says, I'll give you a key to this region, to this place place to this person but there is a key there was a key for you there's a key for me in fact if you look back there was probably something happened in your life that suddenly clicked in the lock I think part of the revival we're going to see is as every believer is waiting on God and saying would you put keys into my hand? It might be a miracle. It may be a friendly visit. It may be, go and mow that guy's lawn. It may be that lonely family 
take them a meal, invite them over. It may be a word of wisdom. It may be an assistance with something. The word of knowledge opens amazing things. I was on the aeroplane flying from Kuala Lumpur to London and sitting on the plane and uh, I was actually sitting in a seat and, and the lady had a baby with her and I thought this is going to be a good night. <laughs> and uh, I said to the air hostess, look, give this lady a chance with a child. Is there another seat up here? And she said, I'll have a look, sir. And she came back and said, yes, there is on the other side. I said, great, give this lady a chance. And I went over and sat on the other side and uh, settled back and I looked at this guy next to me and uh, I looked at him and I thought, gee, I know you. Gee, I recognise you. I really do recognise you. And I said, excuse me, you're on TV, aren't you? He said, yes. Like, that's the last thing I need tonight. I said, it's okay. Talked to him for a few minutes. And uh, he wasn't very happy. He'd just done a big program and he was going back and he had to do this thing in Russia. He was on this major thing and he's coming back. And he said, I get so little time with my kids. I said, who are your kids? He said, I've got two daughters, Izzy and Willow. I said, oh, yeah, that's nice, nice names. I said, look, I'll leave you alone. I don't want to disturb you. And then in the morning, woke up and... Uh, pretty good sleep woke up he was sort of up and around and he's a bit sparkier but I thought well I'm going to give him his his uh, privacy but would you give me a key give me a key give me a key to open up a major conversation and I waited for it and all of a sudden I heard it go up to your bag and get that big uh, pad of drawing pad and some good pens and he said start sketching, do some Australiana stuff. So I started drawing Australian cartoons and uh, I've worked professionally there so it's, you know, they go reasonably well and I'm doing these cartoons. The next thing, a little head came around the corner and I hear, that is really nice. Gee, that's interesting. Any idea who this could be? Richard Hammond from Top Gear. Right. And he says, this is, this is very, very nice work. You're an illustrator. I said, well, I've done a few books and doing some kids' cartoon books, doing stuff. Yeah. And he said, mm, is this for a book? Are you doing something? I said, no, as a matter of fact, it's a gift for your daughters, Izzy and Willow. He said, oh, that is so nice of you. Gave him the drawing. He's starting to, wow. So I'll do something for you. So I drew a flying pig with uh, Nothing's Impossible. And he had a laugh. I said, that's yours as well. We talked for three hours, talked about a near-death experience in that dragster. We talked about the things of God. I opened up the gospel, started to talk to him about the meaning of the word logos from going back when it means more. It means word, but it also means the reason in the Greek. The Greeks used it as the purpose, the understanding of the structures of the earth, the understanding of how everything's come into being. Or literally, it means the word. Logos means the word, but it also means the reason. And I talked about from a scientific point of view that scientists said, looking for the reason. And as a Christian, I found it in him and shared with him. When we got there, he said, if you want tickets to the show, you want anything. Um, and I knew God just said, there's your key. Click. See, if we wait on God, and God is saying to us, if we will wait on him, 
We want to reach people. We want to have a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, a healing gift, a a discerning gift, uh, whatever it would be. If we wait on God and seek his face and we have a person that we want to reach, some people we want to reach, and we say, Father, I have no idea how you're going to do this, but you have the keys to the kingdom. Would you put a key in my hand? Can you imagine if every person in this room is seeking God for keys to unlock lives? And people are going, wow, I perceive you're a prophet. Yeah, I want to tell you about the great prophet. Now that you've made your decision, come and join us in church. Pack the church out, double, triple. My mate in Colombia, they've had to ask the Lord. They're growing at 30% per annum. And they've asked the Lord if they could hold back to 18 because they don't know what they're going to do with the numbers. God wants to give us souls. I'm finished. But the weapons of your warfare are not natural. The warfare in your street, in your home and in your family are not natural. But they are divinely powerful through God to utterly demolish fortresses they are mighty Holy Ghost keys that will unlock lives families and whole communities in the scriptures Jesus went over to Decapolis over to the Gadarenes there he cast a demon in fact 6,000 demons out of a man Wrecked the pig trade, the pork trade went down the tube. And they kicked him out. But that one man went to ten cities. The ten cities of Decapolis. When Jesus came back, they beseeched him to leave before. Now they beseeched him that he might, they might just touch the hem of his garment. They ran with the sick and they ran to touch him, beseeching him. Because one miracle unlocked ten cities. I want to challenge you. How many would say, I think I'm going to start asking for keys? Anyone? How many want just one or two? How many would like a lot? A key ring full. Amen.